This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 61. Another start, another gem from Paul Skeens for LSU. They are continuing to play on into the College World Series final. What does that mean for the Nats' interest in the ace pitcher? And we'll dive into the minor league system with an update on how some of the top prospects are faring. Plus, was at Nats Park for a wet couple of days over the last few days on their homestand. We'll give you some thoughts on that. Bustin' Loose Baseball right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 61. He's Toby Altizer. I'm Grant Paulson. Toby, what's up? I gotta say, Grant, I'm jealous that you guys got to see the epic rant from Davey Martinez. I wish I could have been there in person. I was driving out and heard it on the radio. And I will say the one great thing about that grant, and I know that you've probably seen the videos now of the Diamondbacks broadcast making fun in the first inning that there weren't many people there and you could hear a lot of stuff. You could hear pretty much the whole exchange over the radio. You could hear it over the TV feed just because of how quiet things were. So it was cool to hear all that and then to see Davey just go absolutely crazy was fantastic we've been begging for that we finally got to see him do it in game as opposed to after the game weeks and weeks of waiting for Davey to just blow his top and it finally happened I actually thought he he look he didn't really plan on getting ejected I don't think in the sense that it wasn't until Doug Eddings challenged him essentially he was doing his normal Davey bit where he was kind of up on the top step barking a little bit but Eddings essentially said, get control of your dugout then. And that's when Davey decided, okay, I'm not having this. And again, we don't need John Boy. Like you said, there was no one in the crowd but like me and a couple of our buddies and 800 of our friends. And so you could hear pretty much everything, and it was all mic'd up, and the video's gone viral. But Eddings told Davey, get control of your dugout, like they're chirping me. Davey didn't want to be told what to do, so he came out. They had a nice chin wag, lengthy conversation. And Davey actually started walking away. And at that point, he said, do your job or, you know, get it right or whatever. And Doug Eddings didn't like that, so he ejected him. But Eddings was kind of on a power trip all day. I was watching him. We were laughing behind uh, the screen. We were sitting. We had great seats near home plate. And he was yelling at the Diamondbacks, as you mentioned, in the first inning. There was a, a pitch clock violation on Jake Irvin, who actually threw the ball really well. We could talk about that in a minute. But he, he starts yelling at Jake Irvin because Irvin just kind of said something like, you know, I was starting at one second or whatever he said. And, and Eddings was like, no, you weren't. The time was at zero, but he, he was just everyone was there to see him throwing his chest around mm-hmm. cock of the walk. You know what I mean? Like he was all excited. He was just lathered up. He wasn't going to take any guff. So he wanted to scream at Davey and rip his mask off and go stand there and egg him on. And Davey came out. And eventually when he got tossed, then it was on. I mean, that was a wonderful 
little ejection for Davey Martinez. To be honest with you, Grant, it's probably a good thing that I wasn't there because I probably would have added to it and probably got would have got thrown out of the crowd because I love, you know, chirping a little bit here and there, especially in umpires. So I might have been thrown, too. So probably a good thing I wasn't there. I will tell you, uh, Nick Ahmed, I probably shouldn't say who it was, uh, but Nick Ahmed was in the on deck circle and the seats we had were kind of right behind the screen near the on deck circle. and He was literally like right in front of us. So if there wasn't a net, we could reach out and grab him. And I just said to him, I said, Nick, and, and players, I mean, they're, they're there all day long. And I, you know, try to chirp or just say hi to or talk to everyone, tell Corbin Carroll, I want him to be the MVP, you know, whatever else. And so I met standing there. I said, Nick, I said, what's the book on Doug Eddings? Is he pretty good? And he literally, it was the first time all day that a player acted like they could hear me. He turns around and goes, you guys can see. No. And it was just <laughs> so funny. Like we start cracking up because he goes, you guys can see it, right? No, not at all. Or something like that, you know? <laughs> and it was, it was just so perfect. Like he's, oh my God, he's a human. He's three feet away. He's talking to us. But the rest of the day, they're just ignoring you, you know, whatever else. But it, I think both teams were annoyed. The problem was not even as much, you know, it, like, was that a ball or a strike? I mean, on the actual call, Davey was furious about it. If you're just looking at the box, it was a ball below the plate. It was called correctly. The problem was it was inconsistent. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes that's a strike. Sometimes it's a ball. Sometimes with one team, it's a strike. Sometimes with the other team, it wasn't a strike. So there was a lack of consistency throughout the game. I'm team electronic strike zone, have been for a long time. It's because of today. You know, it's because of the annoyance of Doug Eddings uh, and how he bristles and the ego with these umpires who think it's all about them. It's just infuriating. But for people that missed it, Davey ended up kind of uh, with, with using like a piece of paper to wipe dirt around. And then he laid down as if he, you have to lay on the ground to catch the ball as low as he was calling strikes. I mean, it was, it was a grade a theatrics in the ejection for Davey Martinez. Long time coming. As we said, we've been waiting for weeks for this tope. Yeah. And it's probably the best ejection we've had this year. I mean, I'm trying to think of other ones. Booney's been ejected quite a few times for the Yankees, but that's been more so just verbal arguments. We and haven't had anybody now almost like, it's just like Aaron Boone. It's yeah. Wednesday, you know, like he comes <laughs> yeah. out and he screams and loses his mind with Davey. It felt like a big deal. Yeah, it, it really did. And we've seen it after games, but we haven't seen it in games. I think the only other time that maybe he could have gotten ejected, but the game was over was in Houston when he argued the call about the interference not being called, but the game was over. So he couldn't be ejected. So this time he really got to get in the umpire's face a little bit and have a little fun with it. And uh, I think it was a good show for the Nats fans that were there. Yeah. Long time coming. All right, real quick. Wanted to talk about Jake Irvin in the start. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, Irvin's average fastball velocity on the season is a little over 93 miles per hour in this start. It was a little over 95 miles per hour, actually touched 97, uh, hit 96, a bunch, six innings of one earned run ball. It was, he should have had six innings of scoreless ball because mm -hmm. even though he gave up two runs and only one was unearned, both of the runs he allowed were on miscues defensively. The first run, which was actually statistically unearned, a ground ball base hit into center field with Corbin Carroll, who might be the fastest player in the league at first base. Carroll rounded second and went to third. He was going first to third on what was just a routine first to second kind of advancement on a ground ball right to the center fielder. But because... It was misplayed by Derek Hill in center field. Corbin Carroll just never broke stride, and he kept sprinting. I don't know if he saw with his peripheral that it got misplayed or 
if the third baseman was just ultra aggressive because of his speed. But legitimately, Carroll on his horse around second, never slowed down and just kept going all the way home, Little League style. That was an unearned run. The other earned run that, that Jake Irvin gave up was on a pop shot into center, the shallow center field right behind second base, essentially. And Luis Garcia uh, misplayed the ball. He misjudged it. I don't know if it was windy or it was certainly a kind of a tough day to see the ball because it was you know, spitting rain and really overcast. But it was a bad misplay. It's got to be an out. Uh, you don't get an error for losing the ball, though. And so that's tough luck for Jake Irvin. But I say all that to say... Five hits, one earned run, six strikeouts, just one walk in six innings. If you look at his last two starts, Toby, since he had like a, a skipped start and like a respite for 11 days or something like that, he's actually been pretty good. 11 innings and two earned runs with uh, 10 strikeouts. So that's a pretty good sign. Thing that pops out to me immediately, 87 pitches, 61 strikes. If you got your stuff working, which it seemed like he did have his stuff working today, uh, or, then go ahead and pound the strike zone. You know, stop fooling around. It seems like we talk about this with a lot of national starters and even guys in the minor leagues. They're kind of missing and getting a little nibbly, trying to throw the perfect pitch as opposed to just let your stuff work in the zone and pound the strike zone. Sometimes you're going to get hit around, but sometimes you're able to pound the zone like he was today and get outs. And obviously, like you said, it's, it's unfortunate he has two plays that probably should have keep kept him from giving up any runs in the outing. But Overall, you just pound the strike zone, let the guys behind you do the work, and this year they've been much improved from what they were last year, and just hope for the best. And I think that's something that's very encouraging. And like you said, since he's been skipped in the rotation, now he's gone for two starts, he's looked really good again. So I think sometimes we forget that it can be a grind for these guys, especially their first go-round in the major leagues. Sometimes you just need that little bit of a break just to regain yourself, regain some of that composure, and sometimes it works wonders for these guys. You've seen it work with position players at times. You you get a couple days off, and then next thing you know, you're you're back to playing well again. We saw it earlier in the season with Luis Garcia. He got a couple days off, and next thing you know, he comes out and he starts hitting the ball well again. Sometimes you just have to do these things with a young ball club, and maybe we'll start seeing a little more of these sort of things. I'm not sure, but it, it seemed like Davey made the right choice to skip him in the rotation, and he had good results since. Yeah, and the Nats have been smart about this. With all their pitching prospects in the minors, they occasionally – We'll skip them after X amount of innings or or starts for for an outing, and they did it with Jake Irvin. You know the schedule allowed them to, and I, I thought it was a really uh, good thing. But all of his pitches, velocity was up a couple miles per hour, and all of his pitches, his spin rate was up. So it just tells you the arm was feeling good, fresh, really, really crisp, and and it looked good. So that that's encouraging. Uh, in the bullpen on Thursday in the loss to the Diamondbacks. Jordan Weems threw another inning without an earned run. Now, that's a little bit misleading because he did give up a three-run homer. Uh, all three of those runs were unearned. That has been a hallmark of, of this awful June, by the way, where the team has four wins this month, uh, where they're just giving up too many unearned runs, and, and there's been too many miscues defensively. Davey, after the game, actually told the media and they've crossed the line now of what is acceptable for kind of how they're playing even in a rebuild season. So he's going to... Um, for lack of a better phrase, start grabbing some face masks, it sounds like, and start having some tough conversations with players. But I still like what I see from Weems. You know, he got a, uh, in his inning, he got some weak contact, uh, 1.7 ERA. He's missed a bunch of bats. And then Corey Abbott came in and threw two innings. I know he gave up three hits, but he did have a couple of strikeouts among the six batters he retired of the 80 faced. 
uh, through 31 pitches. You know, he's got an ERA of one. So we've been saying they got to find some help in that bullpen. Uh, I, I maybe a weird day to say it after you give up the homer, but Weems and Abbott both way more good than bad so far in a limited sample when they've thrown. Yeah, it's been strange because it seems like some of the other guys have come back down to earth from a, a decent start. Mason Thompson actually has found some of his early season form again as well. But yeah, I mean, Weems, Abbott, maybe they're going to have to get start getting used in more high leverage roles or something. I'm not exactly sure what you're going to do with your Davey Martinez right now because do you trust them in a close ball game in the seventh or eighth inning yet? I don't know. But at the same point, the guys that you keep throwing out there, the the Finnegans, the Harveys, the, the Carl Edwards, they haven't necessarily been getting the job done either. So I think at this point, if you want to use an Abbott or a Weems there, I, I think it'd be justified. And I think he's going to have to with Edwards going to the injured list. You know, the fact that Thaddeus Ward, he just, they don't trust him. I mean, they don't pitch him no. very often. He basically throws once a week. So it's almost like, you know, you're just saving a roster spot for a future piece in a guy that's a rule five pick that you can't send to the minor leagues. Um, Weems, by the way, his uh, max fastball was 95.2. His average fastball was 94.7. So he was kind of sitting 95. He was down about 1.7 miles per hour in the outing from where he was for the majority of the season. Uh, Corey Abbott, I mean, he doesn't throw all that hard. He's pretty much a 92, 93 mile an hour kind of arm. Um, he did touch 93 and a half, so almost 94 uh, in his start, but it's fastballs and knuckle curves. He actually threw more curveballs than fastballs in this outing, which I'm encouraged by. Similarly, Weems, by the way, threw 12 sliders on 20 pitches. So if, if you got a good pitch, Weems' his slider's pretty good. Abbott's knuckle curve is pretty solid. You might as well lean on it. And those guys did that. There's there's no rule that says you got to throw uh, more fastballs. Uh, Derek Hill, we mentioned he had the misplay in center field. I'm excited that he's getting a shot here. He was kicking butt in AAA. Uh, he is not a young guy. He's 27 years old. He's a former first-round pick, in fact, back in 2014. Uh, he was the 23rd overall pick. He has played in the major leagues, mostly with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, he's got 240 career at-bats to his name and um, four major league home runs. But in the minors this year, and just under 200 at-bats, he'd been hitting the ball. And in AAA, he was hitting 320 with a 900 OPS. You know, He was doing some good things. He's got speed. He's athletic. I think 44 of his 50 starts in the outfield were all in center. So with Robles on the injured list, he might get a chance to play just about every day in center field. Uh, he's got 11 steals to go along with the eight homers, so he showed some tools, the power, the speed. And again, it's not like he's 32. I mean, he's 27. So you want to kick the tires here and, and see what you got. Uh, but because they don't have Robles, and you'd prefer to keep Lane Thomas and right where he's played like a gold glover. Alex calls in the minors. They could have called him back up. I'm interested in the fact that they went to, to Hill instead. Uh, he hit the ball hard, some loud outs in the game on Thursday against the Diamondbacks. I'm, I'm curious to see him get a little look-see here, especially if they trade Lane Thomas, let's say, uh, or, or do something with their current outfield mix. You know, there's going to be some vacancies, and he might be the kind of guy that fills it. So I'll be interested to see how he performs. Yeah, I have no issue with them giving him a try. I mean, you mentioned he's 27 years old. Alex Call got an extended look early in the season. He's 28 years old. You're giving more looks to Stone Garrett. It seems like now he's kind of platooning in left field with Dickerson. I'm totally fine with it because you're just trying to find guys that can fit in. And maybe you find someone that clicks a little bit and you can move them at the deadline or something. You're just trying to find guys. It's not like anyone's established there. Lane Thomas has done a really good job in right field. He's the only guy I'd say that's really established. Maybe you can move 
Dickerson or something. Who knows what exactly happens for the rest of the, the rest of this season with these guys in the outfield. But I have no issue giving Hill a try, especially like you said, he was playing super well in AAA. So maybe he can find some of that success in the big leagues and help this team out a little bit. Do you have any interest, Toby, like I do, or am I crazy, in wanting to see a little more Riley Adams? I don't think he needs to to play a lot. I'm not asking for five days a week. I mean, K. Barrett Ruiz is the more important long-term player. You, you major in him as a catcher. But you can, like they did on Thursday, have K. Barrett DH occasionally. You can have Riley Adams. He was taking some ground balls at first last year. Like, where is that? I'm not asking for it to happen a lot because I know Dom Smith is saving C.J. Abrams bacon and really helping the, the infield defensively. Um, so I, I don't think you need a major in it. But if he gets, you know, one game a week catching, one game a week DH, I would feel pretty good about that. And if you throw in the occasional game after you, you move on from Dom Smith or something, you know, at first base, I don't think that's the end of the world either. He's hitting over 300 with a 960 OPS. And on a team with no power, he seems to hit for some power. I mean, another home run this time to the opposite field on Thursday. It just seems like whenever he plays, he gets a hit, he gets on base, he does something good. And you don't see him again for a handful of days. And on a team this bad, that shouldn't really be the case. Yeah, I mean, I don't see a reason you can't get him in the lineup more. It's not like you want to keep Joey Manessis in there as much as possible and not have him DH or not have him play the field. So playing more as the DH because he's just not a good fielder. So I understand that from that standpoint. But like you said, maybe give a day off to Manessis like they did on Thursday and let Riley Adams play and let Kbert DH. I, I don't have an issue with that because like you said, he's been productive when he's played. Just find a way. I mean, I think at this point we kind of know what Joey Manessis is, so it's not an issue giving him a day off every now and then. I think there's ways that they can find ways to get him in the lineup, whether it's just giving different guys days off or whatever the case may be. I think there's ways to get him in there and I would like to see him more. I think that's a really good point that like when he's been in the lineup, he's produced, but I don't feel like we've seen enough to maybe feel confident in him yet. But I mean, when he's been out there, he's done a really good job. Yeah. I guess my question is like, I want the most possible work that you can get for K Bert Ruiz, but there's no reason to run him into the ground. Right. And there's no reason to, to, uh, ask him to do anything abnormal in terms of workload. So keep him fresh. It's a really long season. And, and I, I'm not beating the drum. I mean, it, like we all get what Riley Adams is. He's a catcher too, probably. The more he plays, the more he'll get exposed. That 300 will fall off. I get that. My point is just, it's not like he's 40. You traded for him. You know, you didn't claim him off waivers. Like you acquired him at the time. He was a top 20 prospect in a system. You know, and you acquired him via a trade for a reason. So let's he's playing well. Like, let's meritocracy this thing a little bit and and give him a couple extra at bats. And and like you said, take don't take him away from Ruiz necessarily. Maybe it's one game every two weeks more that you catch him or something like that or, or a game a week that you catch. him. But maybe it's you DH him and you give Manessis a day off against the righty or something. And I just think well, you can get strategic with it. And one thing so far, I have no issue with Kbert playing all the time. Like you said, you want to get him developed. But I almost feel like he's been catching too much. I think he's caught now 58 games or something like that. I think you need to take that down just a tick. Just, you know, this season's not going anywhere. You know, I, I don't want to just 
run him into the ground in a season that doesn't matter. Not to say that I don't want him to get reps. I still want him catching four out of every five days or so, but maybe just we, we talked about it with Corbin and a personal catcher. I don't know that the numbers are still that same way as they were earlier in the season where it was just that much better with Riley Adams, but I wouldn't mind finding ways to get Riley Adams more at bats and just finding ways to also get Cabert Ruiz some rest. Cause I feel like he's catching a little bit too much for my liking as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, anything else from the big league club standpoint you think we need to hit before we get into Paul Skeens? I mean, I, I think Lane Thomas continues to hit the baseball. And if he does, I think that like we talked about on the last podcast, I, I want to get good value for him if you trade him. But I think that the value continues to rise to the point that with a couple years of control and the way he's been playing, you might be able to get a legitimate prospect for him. And if that's the case, you got to be excited as a Nationals fan that you could bring something in for a guy that you acquired by giving them John Lester of all things. So I, I think overall, if Lane Thomas continues this, it'd be frustrating to see another guy leave the Nationals that was being fairly productive, even though it's in a, a, a useless season in a lot of ways. But you'd like to see maybe you could get something for him at the deadline. 12 home runs after he hit yet another homer, a solo shot on Thursday, just snuck out over top of the left field fence at Nationals Park. 293 average, 340 on base, and a 840 slug for Lane Thomas, the 27-year-old starting right fielder. He's got seven outfield assists. He's just been really good. Two more hits, the solo homer. He's, uh, he's a spark plug, and since he got back to the top of the order, He's been outstanding. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Dang, zoom. All right, on Paul Skeens, let's get to Skeens, the LSU ace, 
who is going to very likely be the Nats pick at number two overall in this draft class. He is a sensation. And good news, bad news here. Good news, Skeens was awesome, and LSU went into the 11th inning, and he threw a gem. Bad news is LSU won, and they're going to continue to play, and I guess there's a chance that the Tigers could continue to try to run him into the ground here to try to get a College World Series championship. So here's where we're at. In a matchup of the two best college pitchers in the country this year, Rhett Lauder and Paul Skeens, Lauder threw seven innings of three-hit shutout ball and was removed after 88 pitches. Meanwhile, Skeens, just to show you that the juxtaposition of how his staff's been handling him at LSU, threw eight innings of two-hit no-run ball, striking out nine with one walk. And at 100 pitches after seven, he was brought back out for the eighth and threw 20 pitches, emptying the tank in the eighth inning. So he threw a total of 120. Now, they've routinely had him upwards of 120 pitches, but typically he throws once a week and he gets six days off between starts. This was on a much more normal, like, major league rotation rest, so I was pretty shocked to see them bring him back out for the eighth and have him throw 120 pitches. But it was your normal Paul Skeen stuff, man. 82 strikes on 120 pitches, two hits over eight innings, nine strikeouts, touching 100 double-digit times, wipeout slider, showing a plus changeup. I get steamed up for Paul Skeens. Well, and this was a really cool matchup to see him in against Rhett Lauder because you could see the difference in the pitchers. Like, Rhett Lauder is going to be a first-round pick, no doubt. He's a really good pitcher, but you could see the difference in the stuff between Skeens and Lauder and a reason why... We talked about it last week. There, there's a potential that maybe Skeens is taken at number one and just looking at some of what the Pirates are ha- have in their system and what they've done in the past, like maybe they'd take a shot because Skeens is just that good. I mean, you you mentioned it, how good he's been. We've gone through the stats plenty of times. You talked about the stat line for this game. Like he's been phenomenal. He continues to be phenomenal. And these kinds of pitchers just don't come along all that often. And when you can have the opportunity to add that kind of a guy to your system and your organization, sometimes it's just worth it to take that risk on a guy that's an arm over a bat, even though Dylan Cruz is fantastic. And so honestly, with where you're sitting at with number two with the Nationals, we were talking about this before, Darius and I, before you hopped on here, GP. And it's like, I, I don't know that there's been a time where you're looking at a draft and you're drafting number two and you're anxious. Like, can we just get to the draft already? But that's kind of where I'm at because I just want to know what the Nationals are getting. I have no problem with Cruz or Skeens, but I kind of want to know which one's going to be wearing the curly W. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of, of picking so high, right? It's There's no wrong answers, at least on draft night. I mean, it can work out that there's a wrong answer the way things trend afterwards. But, heck, I mean, if they took Wyatt Langford, who's waiting mm-hmm. in the wings now for Paul Skeens in the College World Series from Florida I, I at number two, even though you can pick nits on if that was the right pick or not, Oh no, you just got a 25 homer corner outfielder every year who might hit 300. Like I love the bat and the profile of him being a, a power bat who can hit for some average. Uh, there's two tremendous high school talents in this draft class in Walker Jenkins from North Carolina and Max Clark from Indiana. Clark's a 70 runner who's going to steal a ton of bases and hit for a lot of average and be a leadoff batter. You know, meanwhile, Jenkins is probably a corner outfielder, even though he played center field in high school was a big-time power guy. He's kind of the uh, Langford to Clark's Cruz, if you will. 
you can't go wrong with, with these types of prospects. These are blue chip, like top year organization type prospects. Whoever they take will be the number two guy behind James Wood in the system. And like James Wood, if they go the college route, that may have a chance to get to the big leagues next year. And I think that's what I'm so excited about. Now we'll talk timelines in a second, but it, it doesn't matter if it's Cruz or Skeens. Uh, I would even throw Langford into that. If you go with a college player, like it's not unrealistic to say that next September they could be in the major leagues and that in 2025, you know, they break camp with the big club and they're playing every day. So it's not like you're waiting four or five years like people pretend is the case in the baseball draft. But, uh, yes, watching Skeens has just become fun. Now, here is my only concern, okay, and I'm just going to I'm going to raise my tinfoil hat here. The LSU does not give a bleep about the Washington Nationals, okay? It's very clear. And I know that they shouldn't, and and uh, why would they, right? But they are here to chew bubblegum and to win a College World Series. And they're all out of bubblegum, all right? Jay Johnson, the head coach at LSU by way of Arizona, is, is just going to pitch Paul Skeens until it's over. So here's what I'm thinking. I think it's time, Nats fans, that if you're not already rooting against LSU, you need to. If If they get to a game three in this series... I could see them throwing Paul Skeens on three days rest. They're not going to start him. I mean, I, I, I say that definitively as, as if there's no way they would, but uh, it's not that much crazier than some of the things they've been doing with pitch counts. But, like, I think on three days rest, I could see them bring him in out of the pen to, like, close the game or pitch a couple innings, you know, if it's a low-scoring deep game like tonight into extras or something. It, it wouldn't be... I would like to think they wouldn't do that, but I wouldn't rule it out completely. And that would start to worry me. Like now we're talking about 120 pitches a few times here, end of the season. He's approaching 20 starts on the year. Now you're maybe throwing a couple innings out of the pen on short rest, throwing 101, 102. No, like I, I go Florida, win the first two games, end this thing, and let's uh, we'll see at the draft in Seattle. I can't wait to fly out there for the draft. The draft, by the way, I just got my draft plans because I'm doing the uh, draft show for MLB Network Radio. It's basically in the shadows of uh, Lumen Field where the Seahawks play. Awesome. Like, we're going to be at the stadium, and the stage is going to be set up, so it's going to be sick. But I don't know, man. I'm a little nervous. Like, I, I just don't want to see Skeens on three days rest trying to be an animal with that mustache throwing 102. Yeah, and he's not going to say no. If if Jay Johnson says, hey, man, you, you want to go? He's absolutely, I want to go. One thing I do want to point out, though, about Skeens, and they, they talked about it a little bit on the broadcast tonight. You could see it from some of the umpire cams. I like the fact that Skeens and his delivery and his mechanics are fairly simple, it seems like. It doesn't look like he's throwing super hard. You know, the guy that you compare him to a lot and you've heard is Strasburg. And if you think about Strasburg when he was coming out, he had this funky delivery where they had the inverted W or the M. You know, he's got this funky little thing that just didn't look very natural. And so maybe that led to some of the injuries and whatever the case may be. It doesn't seem to be the case with Paul Skeens where he's got a pretty simple, repeatable delivery. I've talked about this a little bit with Mackenzie Gore. It seems like he's got a repeatable delivery so you can work more so on the command and things as opposed to mechanical issues. So hopefully that would be the case with Skeens if the Nationals were to take him. You don't have to work on the mechanics a whole lot. Hopefully the the arm health is good because of that as well. He's got seems like he's got a pretty simple delivery that doesn't put too, too much on his arm. So... I mean, I don't want to see him pitch three days after throwing 100-plus pitches, but it does make me feel a little bit better that he doesn't have a funky delivery that's putting extra stress on his arm either. Yeah, I agree. It's just it looks so easy 
You know, he does not look like he's rearing back for anything extra. One, it's not a, an injury risk or anything. One quirky thing about his delivery that I'm sure you've noticed is I have found how he has the ball like outside of his glove the whole time as kind of odd. Have you noticed that? I didn't, but I, you know, they had Roger Clemens on the broadcast and talked about having that front side closed, so he was able to still hide it a little bit. So yeah, it is I think that's now. what it is. There's like an added deception, but basically. Um, I mean, everyone has the ball out of their glove while they are like doing their leg kick and getting ready to pitch, obviously, but he has the ball directly hidden, like behind the webbing. And so it, it, he almost, it's as if the ball should be in the webbing. Like the, the, the glove is directly in front of the ball over top of his leg for the whole leg kick. And then he kind of throws it toward home plate. And I just think it, it keeps you maybe from picking up the ball, like back behind him. I'm not really sure, but uh, it's interesting. I mean, this is a guy for people that don't know, and, and by now I think most Nats fans that listen to this pod know his story. He was a pitcher and a catcher last year at Air Force. He caught, and he was a great offensive prospect. Like, he was legit two-way guy when he showed up at LSU, and they basically said, hey, why don't you just focus on pitching, and the rest now is history, uh, as he's very likely to go number two overall to the Washington Nationals. Uh, I talked to Keith Law of The Athletic, uh, for a few minutes uh, this evening uh, about the draft. A couple of things uh, I would pass along. Number one, I asked him, is there any chance the Pirates would take Skeens 1-1? Because we all just kind of assume it's Cruz. And he basically said he's not expecting it, like the rest of us are not expecting it. But he's, his point is, like, it's not crazy. Like, it's definitely a fair question. Should they consider this ace of the future with the first overall pick? It's very rare. If we're saying this... There hasn't been anyone since Strauss in 09 or Cole in 11, and it's been respectively 14 and 12 years or whatever since those two drafts. It seems, stands to reason it would make some sense for a team that can't af afford an ace starting pitcher to consider it, uh, but he obviously, like everyone else, is betting against it. He's got Cruz going one and Skeens going two in his latest mock. So that was one thing I wanted to pass along. Another thing I asked him about is how would he compare Skeens to Strasburg and Cole. And he said, I was interested. I was surprised by this. It sounded like he narrowly took those two guys over Skeens as prospects because of their non-top two pitches. Like, And maybe Keith, just on the right day, hasn't seen the changeup. Because I feel like when I see the changeup, it's plus. Like, I love the changeup. He, he throws it a few times a game, and it looks nasty. But Keith basically said... You know, it's it's mainly two pitches, fastball slider, which is true uh, if you look at usage. And his basic point was like Strasburg and Cole both had like other better third, fourth type pitches. I mean, Strasburg's changeup really didn't get good, if you remember, until a few years into the big leagues. He When he came up, it was not really a part of what he did. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. I, I just look at the, the level of competition, like Skeens in the, L in the SEC doing what he's done, you know, better numbers than... Cole out in the pack, whatever it was at the time. Maybe it was 10 still. Uh, Strauss, San Diego State. Uh, man, I mean, you're talking about Florida and, and some really good programs. You know, Arkansas gave him a run for their money. And, you know, you could run through just the, the College World Series teams, right? But uh, LSU has had a murderer's row schedule, and Skeens just keeps hanging bagels, bro. Well, and the other thing that stands out, too, is the fact that this guy strikes out a lot of guys. He's a power pitcher. 
but he has good control. He doesn't walk a whole lot of guys. I think on the year he's got 15 or so walks, and that's it for a guy that's just set the record for most strikeouts in a season in the SEC. I mean, that's saying a lot for a guy to be able to do that. And we talk about this all the time with the Nationals pitchers. We talked about it earlier with Jake Irvin about having command and pounding the strike zone. He's going to do that. His stuff is phenomenal, and he's not going to walk guys. And if that's the case, then you have a lot of confidence. And to your point with Keith Law, you know, he brought up Garrett Cole. And that's the only reason that I think that maybe the Pirates would consider it they can't sign a guy like a Garrett Cole. Obviously, he's been gone now for them for a little while, but when you think about the Pirates, the last elite pitcher like that that they've had was Garrett Cole, and it's because they drafted him. Maybe Mitch Keller can be a really good pitcher for them down the line, but he's not going to be on the same level as a guy like a Paul Skeens. The only way they're going to get a guy like a Skeens on their ball club isn't through free agency, isn't through more than likely a trade. It's going to be drafting them early, and they have the opportunity to do it. I don't know that they will, and it sounds like it doesn't sound like a Keith Law thinks that they will either, but I think it's something that they might really consider if they just get to the point where they're thinking, you know, we've got Brian Reynolds in center field for a while. We've got some other guys for a little while in terms of bats. Maybe we take a shot with a starting pitcher. One other thing I'll say about Skeens, uh, I've done some poking around on just a hypothetical situation if he were drafted. Here's my guess as to what the Nats would do. I think they would shut him down immediately. Uh, he would not pitch again this season. They wouldn't have him debut, you know, go through a few innings in Fredericksburg or whatever. I think they would shut him down and they would pitch him in the Arizona Fall League, just like they did with Steven Strasburg. So you just give him a rest. Then you get your hands on him. You go send him out to the AFL. Uh, he pitches there. And then I think he's on a Strasburg trajectory. So they would probably send him to Harrisburg, I would think, at the start of next season. And he would be in line a la Strasburg uh, to get to the big leagues, you know, a couple of months after the start of the year, uh, if all, all went well, 10 to 15 minor league starts maybe. And then he's in the show. Now it could go differently, but that would be just based on, uh, I would say not only how I've kind of laid it out, but based on some of the conversations I've had, maybe how they would plan it out for him uh, as of now, if he was the pick at number two, but they don't know if he's going to be there. They don't know if he is the pick, so they've still got a lot to determine uh, on that front. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Long gone. Speaking of getting him into the system, let's look at the minor league system really quickly. Just looking at today's box scores for anybody interesting to talk about. Uh, a couple of things stand out to me. We can begin in double A where Jackson Rutledge threw six innings of two hit ball, two runs. He walked four, which is more than he'd been walking 
Uh, it's, it's hard when you're six foot eight to, to throw the ball and repeat the delivery uh, over the plate constantly. But six strikeouts and in six innings. He's a good start, Tobaway, from his ERA dipping under three for the season. You and I went and watched him together uh, in person. Uh, he's had a, a really good bounce back year. Uh, well, I guess last year technically would have been the bounce back, but a really nice kind of jump forward year at double A. Not uh, striking a ton of guys out. Doesn't look like he's an elite prospect or anything. But it does look like he could potentially be a big league starting pitcher the way he's throwing it in double A. Well, and that's the nice part with where the Nationals are at. Mackenzie Gore looks like he's going to be a one or a two. Josiah Gray looks like he can settle in as a three. Who knows what happens with Cavalli? Maybe he can be a four. But, you know, when you're looking at back end guys, Jackson Rutledge, I think, could fill that role, whether it's a fourth or a fifth starter in the rotation. I think that he can be solid, and he's had a really good year this year. So it's been exciting to see him kind of take that step forward this year in double A. And like you said, he's real close to getting that ERA under three. I think he's showing that he's got some of that stuff and maybe is someone that works out of the bullpen eventually down the line with that electric fastball. Who knows? But I mean, it's good to see that he's finally starting to take some steps forward and getting pretty close to getting to the big leagues. At the A-plus level in Wilmington today, as we tape this on Thursday night, uh, Andrew Lara started and had good numbers, four hits in a run, five innings three strikeouts. I've just never, I've seen him a lot in person and I'm rooting for him because he's a young guy. Uh, he's 20 years old in a plus ball. Uh, the numbers are not good, by the way, ERA over six, uh, 57 hits, 51 innings, just 36 strikeouts average against like 275. The stuff is just so pedestrian to me. Like I've, I've never been impressed. It's, it's like 90 to 92 a lot. Some 93s in there, but secondaries have never really, uh, blown me away. I'm hopeful. He's young, but I just don't see necessarily the big ceiling there. Uh, the the storyline in that game from a prospect standpoint, I guess, would be twofold. One is that Brady House hit a homer, and we talked about how hard it is to homer in Wilmington. You're just not going to hit a lot of bombs there. That's why what James Wood did was so impressive. It was his first home run since being called up to the Carolina League in A-plus ball. Is uh, now got seven on the season. He had six, I believe, if memory serves in Fredericksburg. But uh, he's hitting 290 for the year, 850 OPS, and he killed the ball. Dead center field for the 20-year-old slugger, former first-round pick. That was awesome to see him hit a ball out to dead center in Wilmington. Two hits, two runs for him in the game. I get excited about Brady House. I'm hoping that he can be someone... I think that Brady House has the chance to be what we expected Carter Keboom to be at third base for the Nationals, and hopefully he can do that. A big guy, a guy that was drafted quite young out of high school, so I think that he's got the opportunity to do it. Good to see him doing well at high A. How long do you think it is? Obviously, he just got called up to high A. Is it something that he's going to spend the rest of the year there? Do you think you know, if he does well, he gets up to double A before the end of the season? What do you expect for the rest of the track for Brady House? I could see him playing in double A at the end of the year, but I think that it would take him really hitting the ball well and having a strong season. I think they probably are just planning on having him play the rest of the way at A+. Because last year was kind of his Fredericksburg year. He obviously started the year and kind of they wanted him to master that level. Uh, because of the injury last year, he missed a lot of time. So this is more of his Wilmington year, I think, at the pace they want to take him on. And then maybe you don't need, you know, the, the, the double A AA and triple A can be combined more than the the A to double double A jumps a little more difficult for a, a prep bat. So, yeah, I would think A plus is probably where he'll spend the bulk of his season. And and if I had to bet, I would say the rest of his season. But if, if you're killing the ball, I mean, see James Wood, uh, who's just different. 
then you don't have to be there very long. The only th- caveat I would provide to that is I hate Wilmington as as a uh, hitter's ballpark and like as an affiliate, so to speak, for a hitter. I wouldn't want guys there very long. I just think it's it's really hard for power production and numbers. I, I just think it's, you know, it can be mentally taxing. And I, I was stunned with how productive James Wood was. Um, so that, that would be the only thing is I, I would almost prefer guys maybe be in Harrisburg to there just in terms of offense. Uh, but I think he's got a long way to go to just show that, you know, like Wood, he was ready and would handle double-A pitching uh, the way that Wood has. Uh, one other guy I want to call attention to is Jeremy De La Rosa had a couple of well-struck balls and had a base hit in the game. The 21-year-old outfielder has really done a nice job here uh, getting hot and kind of turning a corner. Uh, he had a great year in Fredericksburg last year, double-digit home runs, and almost 40 steals, hitting 280 with an 800 OPS. Uh, he's really gotten warm and, and had a much more success the last few weeks uh, in Wilmington, so that's a very good sign. Last guy real quick is Yarlin Susana. He was one of the players that came back in the Soto deal from the Padres. He's the teenage pitcher who throws 100 miles an hour and touched 103 uh, multiple times when I saw him debut with Washington. Two hits, two runs unearned, so four and two-third innings of Basically scoreless ball for him, six strikeouts and two walks. If you look at his season ERA now, 2.90 for Arlene Susana, uh, which is great. He sprays the ball still. I mean, it's a lot of walks, which he's going to have to clean up, 40 innings and uh, 25 walks. But the walk rate has come down. He's striking out over a batter per inning, 42 Ks and 40 innings, and he's got a 180 average against. Last year, 179. This year, 182. As a pro, Hitters are hitting just 181 off of him in 85 innings. He's got just 54 hits allowed and a career 2.6 ERA. So the numbers match the stuff as being really damn good for 19-year-old Arlene Susana. It's really just about him developing command and control and throwing strikes. The one thing with him is I just see him every time I hear what he's doing, every time I hear the numbers and hear about his stuff, it just sounds to me like an elite closer down the line. I know that they're developing as, him as a starter, which is the right thing to do, and maybe he can find his way there. But I, I feel like when you have a guy like this, and he almost feels like the wild card for me in the Soto deal where he was kind of the throw-in, and if he turns out to be really, really good, which maybe at this point it's James Wood, but if he turns out to be really, really good, it kind of pushes you over the top. But a guy that's that young that throws that hard – I have no problem developing him as a starter, but I would almost rather him come out, throw 102, 103 for an inning or two innings, as opposed to trying to get him to throw 99 and work on three and four pitches to be a starter. I think that he's got a really good closer potential in his future. And the more that he works at it and working to develop and get that, that walk rate down and everything with it. I I think that he's going to be a really good player for this organization in the future. I think as a closer, but maybe as a starter as well. Not pictured in the breakdown. And 0 for 5 for Robert Hassel. He has been scuffling pretty big time in double A. The left-handed bat that they got back in the Soto deal, a former top 10 pick. He's hitting just 212 now on the season. Uh, was a 189 hitter in 15 games in Fredericksburg rehabbing before getting called back up to double A. And he's hitting 220 with a 600 OPS in 40 games now uh, for Harrisburg, which is Really disappointing. Uh, And speaking of disappointing, Elijah Green had four more strikeouts in a one-for-five game at Fredericksburg. So 100 strikeouts now on the season 
in 204 at-bats for Elijah Green, basically about a 50% K rate. I mean, there's still some really encouraging things here that, that make you excited. He has 22 stolen bases. Uh, he is getting on base at a decent clip for a guy hitting 225. He draws some walks. He's getting on base at a 333 clip. I mean, the OPS is is not great, uh, certainly not for a guy in, in you know a ball who's a elite level prospect theoretically. But at 660, it's also not horrendous for a guy with all that swing and miss in the strike zone. Just three homers surprises me. I, you know, if you would have told me he was striking out this much, and it's one of the reasons if you go back to the beginning of the Elijah Green experience and experiment as much as. I liked the pick and thought the ceiling was huge, and I understood what they were doing. I've always been nervous and kind of worried about him making good on the promise because I just I didn't like the swing. IMG Academy struck out a lot, and generally that doesn't bode very well. So it took a swing adjustment. And I mean, do they have a track record of fixing swings around here? I mean, I was nervous, frankly. That having been said, I thought it would be a lot of home runs and a lot of strikeouts, you know, and a lot of doubles. And the power just hasn't necessarily been there. I mean, I guess that's what surprises me. He's slugging 328, man. Like, I'll tell it's almost like, you know, you know what my comp is, Toby, as I'm kind of spitballing here, just thinking out loud as I'm <laughs> rambling. It's almost like a, um, a, a young quarterback. Like, I expect terrible throws and bad interceptions and those what the heck were you thinking moments. But, I'll give you a couple of those for every one of the amazing play that makes me think I found my franchise QB. But, like, I need that spectacular off-schedule play where if you throw a pick, I'm screaming at you, but it's a touchdown this time, and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's unbelievable. With Elijah Green, I'll deal with 100 strikeouts and 200 at-bats as you're getting your pro career started. The 22 stolen bases is the flash that I'm looking for. Like, instead of three homers, I want 11 right now. You know what I mean? Like, especially in that ballpark, I just, it, it's, it has been frustrating for me. Yeah. And to your point, sometimes you can forget about him, which is a little discouraging considering how highly he was drafted, how good of a prospect he's supposed to be, you know, for every bad thing you hear about him, you'd hope, like you said, to see a highlight, you know, you see a, a, almost every night, it seems like a James Wood home run tonight. You saw a Brady house home run recording this on Thursday night. You saw Brady house home run in Wilmington and it feels like the only highlight I can remember that we all got excited about for Elijah Green so far this year is when he hit a 436 home run out of the ballpark in Fredericksburg, which is awesome, and it shows you some of that potential, but I can't just see one highlight every two or three weeks. This is a guy that was drafted in the top five, and you'd like to see a little bit more. So I know that early on in the season, we talk a little bit and say, you know, you're holding reservation, but we're getting a big enough sample size now with – 200 plus at bats and then you just said reach the 100 strikeout mark like there's some concern there without a doubt because of the fact that he strikes out so much he's not making as good a contact as you'd like you know I, I it's awesome that he's stealing bags but at this point he's got all the tools but if you're going to swing and miss in the zone as much as he does it really raises some red flags let's take a peek at the comments this week as we have been asking you guys to leave us some reviews and subscribe and some comments for Bustin' Loose Baseball. Do all of those podcasty things that uh, folks do. We do have a couple of comments, so we like to read them and shout you guys out. Coxon Double Zero. This is our guy Chris in Hyattsville, who's a uh, great Nats fan and a good buddy of the show. He says, if you call yourself a Nats fan, you must listen to Bustin' Loose. This show is all killer, no filler. 
says, Grant has been a pro sports broadcaster since he was 12. Just Google him. Uh, that's very funny, and uh, that is nice <laughs> nice of you to say. He says he knows and loves baseball. This show is no fluff, bare bones. Hard drill down on the Nats, in-season updates, farm updates, great player interviews, fantastic analysis, a must-listen for Nats fans, young and old. Uh, he is in on the addition of Toby Altizer, or Toby Altizer, I believe, as they said when they recorded it for us. <laughs> so we're having them re-record it with your name. Altazir uh, so sounds cooler than Al Altizer. So I'll, that I'll is a pretty that. cool name. I will. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Nate 9916. Nate the Great. Did you see uh, Ted Lasso? I have not seen Ted Lasso. Oh, no. come on, Toby. What a great show. You got to <laughs> see Ted Lasso. Everyone tells me I need to see it. So maybe yeah, I'll have it's to see a 10 it. out of 10. Nate the Great. So Nate says, Magnificent podcast. You'll absolutely love the pod if you're a fan of the Nats. You'll love it even more if you're a fan of the Grant and Danny show. It is a terrific podcast that gives you insight into upcoming players, elite-level guys, and not-so-familiar names, the draft and the current big league roster. Nothing is missed, including the rundown on the good and the not-so-good game reviews. Yeah, there are more of those than we'd like, huh, buddy? Yeah, too Thank many. Thank you, Nate. says, forever a fan of the Curly W, Nate. Very, very cool. So if you want a shout-out, people, come on now. This is how it's done. You write something, we read it, and we tell everyone how cool you are. I believe this is another comment here I missed. Stephen N. says, been listening to the pod since the beginning and can't recommend it enough. Great spot to get the type of Nats analysis you can't find anywhere else from radio voices you know and love. I get excited every time I see a new podcast come out. Let's go, Stephen, huh? Love That's it, what Steve. what we're talking love about, Tobe. Love it. The people are delivering the goods. This Absolutely. is what we're looking for. So spread the word. We're trying to make this thing work. We're trying to, to get this thing to work. Um, I was going to say we're trying to do a deep dive, but that doesn't make any sense. Uh, we could do a deep dive. Deep dive way. into the comments. Exactly. Deep dive into the comments. All right. Final thoughts, Toby, on our way out here. Yeah, well, hopefully the Nationals can figure something out here in the month of June, man. It's been rough. It, it, this is, feels like what we expected the season to be, but they got off to such a decent start that it's almost discouraging now seeing them kind of come back down to earth at the Padres for three. And then at the Mariners for three, the site of all-star baseball this year, then they come back to the East coast to take on the Phillies. And then the Reds are back at nationals park Monday and Tuesday, the red hot Reds, a four game series in early July over independence day. I am steamed up to see that young team led by one of the great young talents in baseball, Ellie De La Cruz. That'll be hell, hella fun. I cannot wait for that, man. I'm going to make sure to get over there and see some BP, see where he's hitting balls in the Nats Park that not many people can. I'm excited to see him in D.C. They got a rookie named Matt McLean as well, who was drafted in the first round uh, just a couple of years ago, who they graduated earlier this spring, who is Hunter currently Green. hitting 315 with an 850 OPS already. He's got 45 hits. Since he got called up, he's just 23. And then Andrew Abbott, the left, uh, the uh, lefty from Virginia, who's allowed runs in like one of the four games he's pitched in so far. So it'll be fun to see them at Nats Park. Yeah, Hunter Green throwing gas too. So a lot of fun. That's a really fun team. They are. That's America's team. That's America's Cincinnati Reds right there. I prefer that America's team over the football version. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. All right, four, producer Darris and Toby Altizier, uh, but really Altizer. I'm Grant Paleson. <laughs> Uh, or whatever you want to call me. Boston Loose Baseball in the books. We're back at it next week.